Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Horse Geeks podcast, where we look at horses and riding from the inside out. I'm Kirsten Nelson, professional horse trainer, and with me once again is my good friend, Deb Romero, certified Alexander Technique Instructor. And today's topic, I wanted to kind of explore what I'm just calling uncomfortable realizations <laughs> as I look at it like it's a specific point in our journey of learning. Mm. It's kind of like either coming to a crossroads or having to adjust our path of travel um, while we're moving towards our desired goals or what we want to learn. Mm-hmm. And to me, real learning involves that light bulb moment of kind of an experience of something that you knew the words for, but suddenly integrated it into an experience. That could be one kind of light bulb moment or these uncomfortable realizations where you just discovered something that you didn't even know you didn't know. Right. Or where did that come from? How, why didn't I already know that? Right. Kind of feeling. What? <laughs> right. And I, I think it's uncomfortable for everybody because we either face something within ourselves that, that we want to change, but suddenly realize, oh my God, this is bigger or it's going to take more time or it's a bigger deal than I thought it it's was. It's overwhelming. Gonna- it can feel overwhelming. And you feel, sometimes I feel um, like when going to a clinic, you know, that it could just, I feel like I, I know nothing, (laughs) you know, that feeling of I'm so out of it. What was I thinking? What have I been doing all these years? What is wrong with me? What the heck? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Those moments of, and I think, I think that comes with people like us that are active learners. You know, yeah. we're always pursuing or questioning. We question what we do. And it's know? going to be every person that owns a horse. Like horses, yeah. horses do not let us rest on our laurels. Like they're constantly, our horse is constantly pushing us to learn more gain more knowledge, deepen deepen our understanding, have more insights. That's just part of owning a horse. They're not going to stand still for us. I think that's right because in in the there's all I think there's this concept of growing when you're growing up that oh if I do a b c d I'm done. You know, I know I know I know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but once I went to Alexander school, it's like, oh, no, that is so not true. Well, and I think part of my attraction to working with horses professionally is there's no way any human on the planet can learn everything there is to know about horses in one lifetime. It's just not going to happen. I think that's important for people to understand that it's it's kind of like my work. It's you have to enjoy and live in the process yeah. of the learning and not goals are great, 
but it's the process of getting for working towards the goal. Are we doing it in a healthy, productive way? Or is our horse telling us something different? <laughs> yeah. And even with the best laid plans and the most <laughs> amount of due diligence, our horse is going to throw a monkey wrench into our goals every time. Right. Yeah. And I think the first uncomfortable realization I see with horses and owners is hitting that crossroad where you go, okay, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. Or maybe I, I'm not on the right direction. Maybe I need to look elsewhere. Exactly. Maybe, yeah. maybe my whole plan, my scheme, my years of training is not going to get me where I want. So the first thing I think that comes up is because it's uncomfortable, we tend to point the finger away. So we blame the horse for sort of not oh, yeah. fulfilling our goals and desires, or we blame the trainer or the vet or the farrier, or we blame somebody involved in that world for not getting us where we want to go. Right. And it's, I don't, if we just take blame out of the picture. Good point. Like, I think that's the first thing is to go, okay, a realization that our destination is either a lot farther away than we thought, or it's going to be a little more difficult to get there than we thought, or we suddenly find that the path we're on isn't going to go where we want to go. And we need to change direction somehow. Like all of those mm -hmm. uncomfortable moments, we have a choice to sort of look at it for what it is and maybe sit with it for a while if it's really uncomfortable rather than blame the horse, you know, blame ourselves, blame some other horse professional in our lives and I think that's the first choice when we feel that uncomfortable moment of learning. Mm. Yeah, I, I, we talked about it before going through the physical, psychological, emotional changes of three years of Alexander school. Um, you know, that, that was like a total, the first two years were a total upheaval. Yeah. I, I couldn't ride the first year I couldn't ride because I immediately the, the, the habits are so ingrained I immediately had this inner crushing conversations with myself and my body and I I I couldn't integrate the new stuff I wanted to I just wanted to ride <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ride <laughs> well but, and you and I sorry go ahead my horses have taught me that guess what? That might not be an option. Like with my big mare and her cervical problems, it was like, okay, time out. Right. We need to redirect. We need to find something else because what we're doing is not working. Yes. It was, and to the point that it was really dangerous to ride her. Dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Dangerous for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, and you and I had very similar and very typical issues as female riders. Mm -hmm. So what's really hard for the female body riding is to stabilize the lumbar and pelvis. Mm -hmm. 
that's just inherently a challenge because of the the shape of the female lumbar, the shape of the pelvis, the coordination it requires through more soft tissue rather than the male lumbar pelvic design is inherently more stable mm -hmm. than the female. And so you and I had from especially riding Hunter for any length of time, you and I had that exaggerated curve through the low back tilting the pelvis and then just basically riding through our legs and willpower. Because... Riding through <laughs> is a good way to put it. Just get through it. Just get through it. Just stay up there. Just, yes. Grip, grip, grip. Yeah. And the realization for me of what it meant to actually internally stabilize my lumbar spine and pelvis while I was in the saddle, I just remember sort of the uncomfortable realization for me was I'm never going to learn how to ride. <laughs> like, I can't gonna, ride like this. I can't do this. That's... This is, yeah. is going to take forever. Well, how do I retrain? Yeah. And, and there's some simple concepts um, of just changing the way we think about the relationship of our pelvis to our spine. I run into women all the time that think that, you know, their spine stops at their waist and just realizing thoughtfully that my pelvis is connected to my spine is huge. Yeah, especially in the saddle. Yeah. And yes. that it, it, it can be something as, because, you know, Alexander work is not manipulative. It's much more teaching thought-provoking and changing the way we think about things to change movement and that's huge because you you've got to change the way you think about something before you can change a physical issue and I think that's where the rubber meets the road like yeah. <laughs> I think that that is yeah. that is exactly what makes it uncomfortable yeah, Like that's exactly because it is something we have to slow down in order to pay attention to, whether it's helping our horse improve balance and the use of their bodies or our use of our bodies. Mm -hmm. It's not. And I think when we realize in the process of learning and always trying to kind of move towards our goals, Sometimes we are seeking out information that gives us these sudden realizations. And sometimes they just seem to cross our path randomly and like, where'd that come from? Yeah, hit us sideways. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you and I having a similar body use with this curve in the low back, but thinking like working with you as a rider. I could see it was just an exaggeration of what I had been doing in my body as well. Mm. And I think and that's what... interesting because I don't know if other people do this. It's just maybe me or you or whatever. But I look at bodies in movement all the time and, and, and think to myself, do I do that? <laughs> oh, there's certain things I knew I did by the time <laughs> I worked with you. 
And then one of the things that really stunned me and got me interested in Alexander Technique was I hadn't seen you for like That's a year. right. Because I and, had my accident. Yeah. Yeah. And so And it I was a hadn't... car accident, everybody. It wasn't a horse accident. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And so after the car accident, you had time off. And then you started Alexander School. So maybe it was even close to two years I hadn't seen you. Mm -hmm. And I went up to do a clinic in Virginia that you came to with your horse. And I was shocked at the changes in your body. Because when I'm working with riders, I kind of know or get to learn their patterns and habits because I'm helping riders change their balance. And I was stunned at how much your body had changed in the right direction, in a good direction, from one year of Alexander School, or maybe even only six months at that time. Something like that. Yeah, you hadn't yeah, been yeah. in the school long. Yeah. But I looked at you and instantly was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? What I are you know doing? what it is. <laughs> Yeah, because the whole change in your posture and use, even before you got in the saddle. Right. And just... I, I think people don't think about that, that how we use ourselves just around our horses. You know, the, the energy, the thinking, all of that affects the horse. Well, what we do most of the time is what we do most of the time which sounds so simple but it's like if I'm walking simple, around not easy. with a big arch in my spine on the ground it's going to be even harder to control when I'm in the saddle and so looking at you I was like again even as much as I had worked on my own balance and working with my own body with what I knew when I saw the changes in your body, I was like, oh, man, do I have a ways to go? <laughs> I, it just never ending, right? And so mm -hmm. it also got me thinking for the first time, how you do anything is how you do everything. So mm -hmm. I started to be able to work on stabilizing my low back and my pelvis that I wanted for riding when I was, I found creative ways when I was driving, when I was in the house, when I was just walking around, when I was standing in line at the grocery store, right? I could take a million moments a day exactly, and, and sort of keep bringing my attention to what I wanted to change. Yeah. And it, it's, it comes up in your brain frequently once you become aware of the default you know you're yeah. like oh man really I did it there I did it again <laughs> yeah and I think it really describes the process of learning authentically mm. or making deep changes to our lives whether it's our riding our horse or anything else is in those moments of uncomfortable realization Man, it takes everything I have sometimes to not try to stuff it down, put it in a box, distract myself with something mm -hmm. else, go into wishful thinking. You know, it's it's like 
it's so hard to sit there and just be with it. Be with it. Be with it. Yeah. And that's what the struggle was with Alexander's school because it was every day. And I think we've mentioned, we've talked before, you know, some days I just went into a corner with my blankie and sucked my thumb and said, don't touch me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't handle it today. And we have to give ourselves permission to do that. Yeah. Like either. Like today I can't, this is not at my forefront today. It's, but. Yeah. Or I like to or say, whatever. I go, some days I just don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> I, I just don't have the bandwidth to deal with that today. today and I need to either slow things down make things simpler try to get one thing done instead of 10 things done and be gentle I think being gentle and kind to ourselves when right. we have these learning moments or these moments of real change Learning to be kind to myself helped me also be really kind and patient with the horses because yeah. you realize this is not easy. Yeah. And the more I delve into research and exploration, you know, that they're finding with all the research that the model we've been taught about pain was oh, pain can only come from a trauma. But pain can come, what they're finding now is pain can come from an emotional event, a psychophysical event. You know, just because you say your knee hurts, but they take an x-ray and there's nothing there, there still could be something. It might not be the knee, but there's pain that's there. So changing the model of, how we think about that is huge. Yeah. And pain, like, I think what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, that what I'm talking about as uncomfortable is on the same sort of path as pain, but less of it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, like, mean, a, it, but, and the research they're finding is, you know, it's a whole body experience yeah it's no not... and even in adult education like when I work with adult riders and they're it's their first horse or they're just learning to ride or they have a little bit under their belt but what they've practiced hard has not served them so we're going to change how we do things and that feeling of having made a mistake or mm. being wrong actually creates whether we call it pain or discomfort mm -hmm. it creates that moment of realization where people will embrace it and go forward or put it put it aside and say no that must be wrong because that isn't what i've been practicing and i can't be wrong so or even the I, fear of being wrong yeah. is a big or, deal. Or am I hurting my horse? <clears throat> we hear that all the time. I don't want to hurt yeah. my horse. I hear that all the time. Or I had a, a gentleman in his 70s come to me for an Alexander lesson. And he, quite frankly, at the end said, I'm not coming back. And I said, well, can I ask why? And he goes, too much thinking. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't want to think that much. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to fix me. And I'm like, well, that's just not what we do. Yeah, because I think decision making is a bit stressful. Oh, mm-hmm. It is a bit stressful. And um, I think that can be part of the discomfort is that we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to hurt our horse. Mm -hmm. We don't want to go down the wrong path. And that itself can sort of create more and more and more discomfort where we get frozen instead of just moving forward on a direction. We kind of are so afraid of making the wrong choice mm -hmm. that we quit making choices. That's a good point. But horses are very forgiving. They're very forgiving. Um, they adapt pretty they adapt quick compared much, to us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they really do go with the flow. They're always seeking safety and comfort, which is not that different from us. Bodies love to feel safe and bodies love to feel comfortable, whether it's human or equine. The human brain is a lot more complicated Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned from horses is try something and learn from it and then try something else and learn yeah. from it. And even with some of my mentors, I would, I would go into that human thing of going, okay, this is what I observe in the horse and I'm going to try strategy A, strategy B, or strategy C based on this, this, and this. And I would wait for my mentor to say, oh, yeah, let's do B. That will work. And right. my men my mentors invariably <laughs> in their wisdom would say, let's try it and see what happens. I have no idea which one's going to work. I think you hit the nail on the head. The best mentors I have had, we always want A plus B equals C. Mm -hmm. We always want that. We want that answer. Yeah, and we want it to be right. Yeah. <laughs> the best mentors I've had have always, I've presented maybe, you know, a person with a shoulder problem and, you know, should I use this protocol? And the best mentors have said, oh, well, it depends. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> You're yes. like, not the right answer. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. And that, and is that is actually the right <clears throat> that is the most authentic answer you can give with a horse. Yes. It depends. It depends. It de because between the human and the horse there's an infinite number of variabilities. And let's even say between the horse, the human and the current environment you're working in. Oh my gosh, yes. There are infinite possibilities. And so that idea of <clears throat> in the moment of an uncomfortable realization, what I've learned to do over the years and from watching the horses, how they do it, I go, try something try that, something. Make, that makes you feel <clears throat> at least like you're moving in the right direction. So in other words, move forward. And like they say, yeah. if if you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> don't, don't stay. Stop. Don't stop. <laughs> and Just I don't know, maybe, going. yeah, or, you know, there's this whole thing in the horse world about 
seeking out information outside of your trainer kind of thing. So, what do you mean? Well, you know, just this trainer, you know, has produced blah, blah, blah. Oh, In, yeah. Now you know what I'm saying. <laughs> my trainer is my guru and my guru is better than your guru. That Yes. whole thing. That whole thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where I like to are... be around the people who say, oh, yeah, go to that clinic. Let me know what you learn. Let me, you know, share with me what what you found. When I go to a clinic, I I want to learn. I usually only learn one or two new things, but it's worth it. Absolutely. Those one or two things were like, oh, oh, okay. Didn't think of that. Let's No, and try sometimes that. I learn, I, I watch a person and a horse if I'm observing a clinic and I feel compassion because I go, well, that strategy still isn't working any better now than it did 20 years ago for me. Oh, good point. And Yeah. I tried that too. And it did, it worked for me the same way. So even if we see something where that's just repeating what we already know, we can see, oh, maybe if I change this or this or this about how I was doing it, it would work better. Or maybe it just sort of confirms, yep, still doesn't work. Not going to work. Didn't work for them any better than it worked for me. But Yeah. I understand why they're trying it for the same reasons I tried it. Yeah, or changing the whole model because we've always felt, or I always feel like we talk about we're on this tiny little island of misfits. <laughs> struggling with all our new ideas and concepts and it's kind of like if you look at the modeling industry of people they for generations have showed to us that women with a sway back is supposed to be beautiful and normal where biomechanically it's just wrong It's actually a very weakening use of the female yeah body. Yeah. and in the horse world Most of the horses I see are in extension with a high head and a drop back. Have we just gotten used to that and think that that's normal? Yeah, because that's what the black stallion looks like running down the beach. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want that. I want that. Yes. <laughs> and Yeah, so are and, we and normalizing part of it. dysfunction? Oh, that's a biggie. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways we do normalize dysfunction. That's why all the Western pleasure horses look the same, moving in, in similar dysfunctional patterns. All of Good the dressage point. horses look the same, but doesn't necessarily mean they're moving in correct balance or ideal mechanical use of their body. It's just that they all look the same. So there's a little bit better, a little bit worse, but nobody questions the posture or use of the body because all the horses are moving the same way. But if we shift our focus from dressage to jumping to Western cow working to trail riders to Western pleasure, they're all still horses. Why do they look and move that differently between our sports disciplines? Oh, that's a good one.
Like that was my question. I go, if I want an all around athlete for my horse, right. And I was interested in like, I think eventing comes as close to that as possible in competition. Um, what is it that horses have in common that make them athletic, right? What is it that makes that keeps them sound or makes them happy and healthy? Because when we change the saddle and the costume and the rider, it's still a human body and a horse body doing something that involves walk, trot, canter, turn left, turn right, make circles, make straight lines. Like that's pretty much riding at its essence. And so we do, I think, just get used to um, the propensity of lameness in one sport or another, right? The age at which the horse has to retire because of that sport or the way they move during that sport, that that's just the way it has to be because of the demand of the sport. Wow, that's true. Yeah, and that might create a little uncomfortable realization for somebody listening. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It did for me because I suddenly went, oh, there's a fashion. And if you look through the history of any particular sport, the position of the head and neck, what the what the judges are looking for or what's winning, especially if it's subjective judging, and not something that's just timed with faults. Right. Like the sports that are timed with faults, the horses pretty much look the same through the history of the sport. But the the sports that are judged subjectively, you really see different fashions and fads move through the horse, go through what wins through the history of the sport. Yeah. Dressage is sort of in my mind on that one and Western pleasure and Hunter. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Cause at one time I, that's, I like the word fashion because that's what it is. Well, like you said, with models, the, right. the fashion underneath the outfit, the fashion outfit that's being sold, there's sort of a fashionable female use of the body. Right. Right. That gets perpetuated. Like you said, that's that deep curve through the low back Right. is if you look through fashion magazines, it's model after model after model. Yeah. And, that, and they, so we're seeing that as children, you know, as much electronics as we have these days, the kids are seeing it at a very early age. Yeah. And when it comes to riding, that exact use of the female body is what destabilizes female riders and the instruction like we've talked about on podcasts shoulders back is going to exaggerate the problem heels down is going to exaggerate the problem that look where you're language, going yeah. but all of that language can actually help male riders ride better it's not wrong it's just geared more to the physical male body it sort of works those same instructions work a little better as they're interpreted by men than they are for women and the instruction out there for all riders is kind of the same whether you're male or female whether you're young or old but it makes yeah, a you, difference 
when I worked, um, I had a grant to work in a um, elementary school and just changing the language for the kids instead of saying sit up straight we changed it can you sit up soft and tall i mean just that simple bit of a language change changed the posture of all the kids yeah no and i when i work with especially adult female riders i'm often saying okay lift your heels Okay, relax your shoulders down and forward, right? Look right. at your horse's head rather than twisting your neck so much to look where you're going. Keep one eye over the horse's ear. And all of those things are important for the female rider to stabilize the seat. Right. So I'm like, the, I'm giving the anti-instruction and I get a lot of weird looks the first lesson for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and uncomfortable I, I realizations. Shared, I shared on a podcast a long time ago about how I was with a group of upper level, it was an FEI level dressage judge and a bunch of local um, riders, fox hunters and instructors. And one of the instructors was saying, I can never get the kids to do what I tell them to. And so I looked at her and I said, well, did you ever think of changing the way you're saying it? And that was like dropping the F-bomb in the room. You know? It was like, <laughs> holy crap. Because <laughs> there was that blame thing again. There was that, instead of taking responsibility and saying, gosh, as an instructor, I've got to be really careful about the language that I use. Because I think that's what is that we're, we try to stay on the forefront of that in our learning curve. Absolutely. It happens from uh, instructor to student or mm -hmm. horse trainer to horse. Mm -hmm. And it's like when things aren't working and we get uncomfortable in the realization that things are not working, it's easy for the instructor to think the student isn't trying hard enough. <gasps> the student is stupid. The student oh has gosh. no talent. Oh, my gosh. Or the same with the horse. I've heard, haven't we been through this before? Why are you still doing that? Right. Have you, that kind right. of language? Or this horse is so stubborn. Or this horse is oh, so lazy. So or this horse is just crazy. Right? So sort of those labels that we're putting on students or horses is it's tough in that moment because the instructor or the horse trainer is basically struggling to find a way to impart the information that can be received by the horse or the student. So like as a instructor and horse trainer, it's been very challenging when I come into those uncomfortable moments where I go, okay, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. To go, what is it I need to say differently? Right. Or with a horse, how do I need to alter my strategy so that what I'm trying to impart, knowledge-wise, is being received? Not that I'm not not that I'm saying it wrong or doing it wrong, but the other is not receiving it the way I intended. Mm -hmm. So how could I adapt and change? Right. And 
that it it's an uncomfortable moment because you suddenly realize as the professional I'm not sure how to get this achieved or just being able to say I don't know mhm mm yeah cuz there's I remember... pressure on the professional yeah to never make a mistake to always know the right mm -hmm. answer and i go that's a lot of pressure on horse professionals that can cause them to be harder on horses than they need to be or start oh, yelling at students or start berating students and i go it's not going to get anybody anywhere so i just choose not to do that i go i don't like the results i don't like what happens on the other side of that so personally i'm going to take a different approach mhm mm yeah and and that's what i said before my, my some of my best mentors have said i don't know absolutely and you I have to be Try you something. have to be pretty confident within yourself when somebody asks me a question it took a while as a professional to gain enough confidence to really say i don't know yeah. let's try this and see if it works and if it doesn't work then we'll try that but i really I don't think, know i think that is, that's what i say about when i'm working with people off the horse in my office is my goal is to give you like a tool belt full of options so mm, that if one that's a good way to put it one thing doesn't work which we're all different bodies we never know here's another tool uh, to take out of your tool belt. Try this one. See if this tool works or this one. Yeah, my work shifted more and more towards helping people observe and really read what the horse was trying to communicate back to the person. So in other words, looking at posture, which we don't talk mm -hmm. about in horse training. No, that's a big deal with horses. Right. And looking I at... think that's where we can find <laughs> what happens I... before what happens. <laughs> Not only that, but it, it's, it, it is the horse commuting, communicating back to us, not only what they're thinking and feeling, but how much stability and control they have over their own body. Good point. And so I go, if we're not looking at the energy, the body language, the posture, then we don't have a clue why our horse is choosing to either resist our aids or blow through our aids or, you know, why we have these different training issues, we attribute it to our horse working against us. And I go, really, the horse is just trying to feel safe and comfortable. And more often, it's the horse trying to protect themselves from our lack of knowledge that we have I these like training that. issues. But that's so hard. That's that that's that uncomfortableness. Ooh, so uncomfortable to so realize. Uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm it, supposed it, to know it all. Yeah, God. and even as I think the last layer of sort of gaining more confidence as a professional horse trainer was people asking me, how long is it going to take to train this horse? The 30, 60, 90 day rule. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I think that was the last piece of like, I realized I've just accepted this arbitrary norm that is prevalent in the horse industry, that my young horse should be able to walk, trot, canter in both directions, steer and stop within that sort of 30 days or by 60 days, it's even better. And by 90 days, my horse is ready for me to go. And the owner doesn't even have to participate. And that I think was the biggest deal for me to, when people ask me that question, for me to look at them and go, I have no idea. Because it, it totally depends on your horse. And I have my priority list is um, helping your horse feel safe first, doing the job. And he's going to show me that through energy, body language, behavior, and posture. And then helping your horse feel comfortable, which again, your horse is going to tell me how fast I need to go. I could go or how slow I need to go according to the energy, the body language, the posture, and the choices that they make, right? So all of that information is the conversation that I'm having with a horse. So I have no idea. It's sort of like kids in school, not everybody learns at the same rate. But our school system says, this is what you learn in this time frame, and then you move on. You either get it, if you're if it's easy for you, you're at the top of your class. If it's hard for you, you're in the middle of your class. And if it's impossible for a kid, they fall behind. And we don't know, just like with our horses, with kids, we don't know what's going on at home. Does that, you know, like with the horse? Hang on, I lost your voice. Put your microphone. We don't know we what, um, what's going on underneath the skin. Like, what is the home situation like? You know, simple things that we're maybe we're not looking at that could be the stressor for the rider or the horse that may not even be part of the what we think is the equation yeah no and um a horse that is not my horse but he's kind of my ward he's been with me for many years hercules um i've been considering doing sort of a case study on hercules on my youtube channel uh to encourage people because he was he's hercules was my training nemesis Yes, and I he agree. ended up staying with me for years and years. Um, but that poor horse, I go, he was he easily would have been labeled as stubborn and lazy. He had a very hard time moving moving, right? And building up that desire, like when a horse gets labeled as lazy or stubborn and lacks has lethargic movement or sort of lacks the desire to go forward freely. I found most of the time that's a horse that's physically uncomfortable in their body. Right. And Hercules was an extreme version of that horse. And over the years he was with me, it didn't happen right away. I even had several vets tell me, oh, it's just behavioral. And Finally, my sister came to visit. She's she's an equine vet, but she didn't live in the area where I used to live. And so when she came down for Christmas one year, she brought her vet truck and her x-ray machine. And she was the only person who believed this might be 
a physical issue, trusted me enough. Because it sounds like a, like I'm a trainer making excuses to the owner when I say, right. I think the horse has some physical challenges that we need to look into. And then the vet says, oh, no, it's just behavior. It makes me look like I'm just trying to excuse the lack of progress in training. And it turned out when my sister, who trusted me enough to look into it, and the owners, we found OCD lesions on both weight-bearing parts of both stifles, or sorry, on the weight-bearing part of both stifles with the right stifle worse than the left. And that's a tear in the cartilage that horses get when they grow really fast. So he could have started- he's a big guy. He's, he's a, a big huge, guy. Yeah, he's over 16 hands. And he was that size as a youngster. So he could have had this cartilage tear on the weight-bearing part of his knees that created intermittent bone-on-bone pain. From the time he was, maybe it can start at one and a half. Wow. And by three or four, if it hasn't been addressed or fixed, the horse has already been living with that intermittent bone-on-bone pain compensating, that, yeah, and having to compensate for it. So on his right stifle, the tear was much bigger, but there was also one on the left. We discovered hock arthritis had already started to set up by the time he was six, right? And he hadn't been ridden hard. He was just barely kind of going under saddle by that age and started developing ring bone on one of his front. Wow. Um, pasterns. So we addressed all of that. And again, it took another, I think, two years before we discovered he had significant allergies to pretty much every known horse food, all of what he had been eating, right? So now he's another couple years older. And we just discover the only thing he's not allergic to is alfalfa, Right, which is right. ironic because he's a quarter horse. He's a quarter horse with impressive it, on both sides. That's amazing. And he's double HYPP negative. That came with his papers. And all he can eat is alfalfa hmm. and a fat I, supplement and vitamin minerals. But even the Timothy hay is kind of high on his um, allergy really? panel. You know, and then years after that, I discover sort of more of an issue in his neck right, which was a habit of movement in his upper back and neck that just developed and became muscularly supported because of the other physical issues. Yeah, it's, we don't, I wonder sometimes if we forget that our horses are individuals just like we are. Yeah. And I knew enough to know that every horse wants to communicate with you That behavior doesn't happen in isolation because the horse is willfully misbehaving. I go, I think think they monkey with us sometimes, but I don't think they're willfully trying to work against us unless they're in fear, unless they're afraid of us, then yes, right? But most horses are just trying to do the best they know with what they can. And this horse... (laughs) This horse had extreme pain issues that nobody knew about for probably his first eight years of training. Mm -hmm. And I go, so all of his patterns 
were well entrenched and complicated. All that compensation. Right. Yeah. Big things that we can't see. That we can't see and that some people dismiss as behavior or personality flaws. And so the longer it goes on, the more complicated the body becomes in its compensation. And he had so many quote unquote behavioral issues, right? Everything through his training was difficult. And so it was kind of hard to know where is this problem coming from? Right. I, yeah. And then I ask myself, what do we need to know that? I don't know. Do we well, need to know where it, we start? We start help? understanding where the problem comes from by first sort of giving the, our horse time to trust us and feel safe with us. And that to me is what eliminates anything that is really in the behavioral category. I go, because once our horse feels safe with us doing whatever we're doing, then every other problem or training issue we have is going to be a physical issue. And I see that with my horses, Um, you know, that once they get to that comfort level of the feeling, you know, safe and comfort, things are very easy to change. It's it's not as much of a struggle. Very easy. So the yeah, horse is not a struggle once you get that unit where it can function at the optimum. It's much yeah. easier. So what I've learned in training horses is I use a lot of strategies to reduce the pressure and variable variables. If a horse has apparent behavioral issues. I go, let's make the job easier. Let's take a bunch of this stuff out of the mix. Right. And let's just see where, what can our horse do while feeling 100% safe and and build on that? And then can our horse do this and this and this and feel 100% safe? And that's going to involve the energy, the, the, the defensive behavior, like fight flight type behavior, and a little bit of posture right? The posture of fight and flight or the posture of grazing, rest and digest. So once I've worked through that layer, most horses, if they feel comfortable, once they feel safe, the next item on their menu is, can I just feel comfortable doing whatever you ask? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we have to convince them that we're trying to help them get there. <laughs> Well, that level of physical struggle, like we talked about before, discomfort might be at the beginning of what we might call the pain trajectory, (laughs) right? So a little bit of discomfort, our horse can work through, but at a certain threshold of discomfort, our horse will resist working with us, right? Right, Physical discomfort and start to become defensive, that's where the and, behavioral problems begin. Yeah. And yeah. if we keep blowing through that using leverage or strategies or obedience training, then a horse like Hercules can develop where there are real pain issues, not even discomfort issues. There's pain but issues. 
that are driving him. able to to radiograph issues not yeah. just behavior issues yeah exactly yeah and each that. problem each layer of physical issue that we uncovered with with this particular horse we thought okay good now we should be good to go but the training right. still wasn't progressing right and it's like okay then we find the next issue and the mm -hmm. training progresses a little more but it's not progressing at a normal rate okay there's another issue right so that's how we discovered with this particular horse it was like a chain reaction that probably started in his OCD lesion as a baby on the stifles. And it just changed everything from the stifles all the way forward to how he used his neck. And each issue created pain for him, a level of discomfort that was so high, he resisted a lot of training or he couldn't find the improvements or hold the improvements. Right. Yeah. And, and he's an extreme I, I example. I he's yeah, a very extreme, extreme example of what a lot of horses and riders are struggling with in a much more mild or moderate version of the same thing. The layers of it all. And mm -hmm. and people go through that. That's what Alexander school was like for me just hitting a different layer. It's like, "Oh my gosh, really more?" Yeah. <laughs> There's more I have to go through. So just living in that that knowing that it's it's the process and it may be a little bit uncomfortable but you're going to have moments of bliss <laughs> yeah no and the first uncomfortable because that's what this podcast is really about and the first uncomfortable realization I came to with this horse is I even told the owners you guys should fire me he's not making any progress in training mm -hmm. Like I am inching my way along and training him is like pushing a boulder up a hill. Yep. Right. And I said, I'm not producing results professionally. I have to go to you and say, I'm doing the best I can. And that uncomfortable realization was sort of the first choice instead of trying to hide the problem, leverage my way out of the problem, or like other mm -hmm. trainers, they did have work with this horse would just go to them and say, he's a terrible horse. You need to get rid of him and get another horse. And that's also not uncommon advice. I agree. And these people love this horse, right? Love him. And they have the money to deal with a horse like him, thankfully, because he's complicated. Right. And so in his, like, then the, the next uncomfortable realization I came to was even I was starting to think, maybe this is just behavioral. Maybe he's gotten away with it too long. Maybe I need to change. I need to be firmer. I need to really, you know, get these changes to happen, even though it's a bit ugly. And then luckily I didn't go that route. Um, I got a vet to take a look at him. And the moment we were looking at the x-rays, it was like, my heart broke. Yeah. The fact that that horse had not tried to kill me or no buck kidding. me off was a miracle. And my whole paradigm shifted. I was like, he has no behavioral issues. He is doing an amazing job for being with in the what pain. He has. Yeah. For working with this level of pain, this horse is super kind. 
and totally changed. And, and I think that's what sometimes sticking with our horses long enough to uncover these problems that are not always easy to find, even for other horse professionals. Because we I, think we're done, you know, oh, we mastered this, so we're done. Yeah. It's not true. <laughs> no, there's another layer. There's another layer. And there's Sorry. always going to be, I think, when we're authentically learning or mm -hmm. changing in the direction we want to go, we're going to have a lot of moments of those uncomfortable realizations. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe I don't think they happen any less, but I think over time I've gotten more used to them. I think that's where I'm at. It's like, oh, that, yeah, okay. Fine. There's that, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Instead of, oh my God. It's devastating. I <laughs> it's have to devastating. stop. devastating. I can't. I can't. It's like, oh, here we are. Okay. Yep. Here we are again. What am I going to learn now? Yep. Yep. <sighs> yeah. And that's probably, I think I've seen that even in the people I respect the most, the people who are really good with horses, like looking at other horse trainers and the people who are really good with horses in the way I want to be, they admit when they don't know, they're humble. They realize they're still learning. And that sort of quiet humility, mm -hmm. even though they're masterful with what they're doing, it, I think that is an evolution at truly becoming good at whatever we want to do. Well, and that's the being open and adaptable, being able to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And not blame the horse, not blame the student, mm -hmm. not blame the situation. It's like just going, okay, how do we work with what we've got? Bingo. Yeah. So I guess we better wrap it up there. We're running yep. on a bit. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Horse Geeks podcast. We hope you find it helpful. We love your comments, likes, yes, and shares. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.